In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing the show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. And I'm Michael Bloom. And today we have a super exciting episode. We're going to talk about Joe Biden's recent executive orders regarding marijuana, no less. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then we're going to discuss some of the unrest happening in the country of Iran. And then we're going to end by having a conversation about democracy, specifically direct democracy. And uh, the potential benefits and drawbacks from a more direct democratic approach to politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited for the conversation about direct democracy. Like we're, you know, often it's, uh, you know, we haven't really talked about it very much on this show. Like we haven't talked about it even outside in our planning sessions. So it could be pretty mixed what what the results end up being. Yeah. Speaking of mixed results, Michael. <laughs> You totally, you you totally planned that, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. What are the COVID numbers? <laughs> so worldwide, we've hit uh, 627 million total cases, with average daily cases over the last week of 438,000. That's actually up 12% from the week before, um, when we had about 391,000 uh on average daily new case rate in terms of death we've hit 6.56 million total deaths with average daily deaths over the last seven days of 1156 that's also up 6.4 percent from the previous week's 1086 in terms of vaccination uh, worldwide we've hit 68.2 percent of the world's population with one dose uh, which is up about 0.2 percent from the week before where we were at 68 percent In the U.S., we've hit 98.6 million total cases with average daily new cases over the last week of 26,000, which is down about 3.7% from 27,000 the week before. In terms of death in the U.S., we've hit 1.087 million deaths with average daily deaths over the last seven days of 230. Now that's up 14% from 202 the week before. And in terms of vaccination, we've hit 79.6% of uh, the population with one dose and 68% who are fully vaccinated, which is about the same as the week before. So kind of like seeing a little bit of a resurgence of uh, of like COVID cases worldwide, little uptick in deaths. Um, so kind of really curious to, to see kind of what this means um, going into like the fall and the winter when... Uh, transmissible diseases tend to, you know, kind of increase. You see growth in flu, growth in other like transmissible diseases as people are like inside more and and uh, stuff like that. So we'll see what happens in uh, Q4. Yeah, yeah. Definitely I'm curious to see what happens in the fall. You know what's interesting about the fall, Mike? Hmm. Yeah, what? There's a, there's a lot of leaves. Hey, yeah. speaking of leaves, let's talk about marijuana. <laughs> I... I, I so I, I think you're right, except 
you don't smoke the least. <laughs> Speak for yourself. So we have to hold this. We have to hold this. Speak for yourself. Jesus. <laughs> we have to hold this over until the springtime when we can make a better transition and talk about, speaking of buds, let's talk about marijuana. <laughs> so our first segment tonight, as promised, is about weed. Um, and specifically about an announcement, uh, an executive order that the Biden administration came out with uh, last week. So Biden announced that his administration would be putting in place like kind of a three-step approach to addressing um, and putting an end to what he called the, quote, failed approach of criminalizing marijuana possession. Now, the first part is the most like direct impact, but if the other two parts are successful, they would be the most important. So yeah. let, let's start with the first one, which is he has announced an executive order and signed the order to pardon all prior federal offenses, uh, simple marijuana possession, and directed the attorney general to develop an administrative process for the issuance of certificates of pardons for individuals uh, who have, you know, these federal offenses yeah. on their records. Yeah. Now, Important context here, because when I first saw this, I thought, holy shit, he's freeing all marijuana offenders from <laughs> federal prison? Thing. Yeah, I Like, the same yeah! Thing. yeah! No, that's not what's happening. It's in, all, fact, yeah. <laughs> in fact, according to, according to most articles that I've read, um, it's either not going to free anybody or it's going to free very few people. Yeah. The main thing that this does is that it expunges the records, the federal criminal records of people who have been priorly convicted of cannabis. Mm -hmm. So as it stands, um, about 6,500 people who had been formally convicted of cannabis possession on a federal level would have that record expunged. Now that's mm -hmm. still important because there are a lot of people that because they have federal felony records, they find it much more difficult to get jobs. All right. Yeah. That, that cannot be overstated. However, if you read this and thought, great, are people whose lives were ruined and are currently sitting and rotting in prison for something as stupid as possessing marijuana are, are they're finally going to be freed? No, that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. All right. And yeah. in fact, a huge majority of people who are in prison for marijuana related offenses are not in federal prison yeah most of them are in state prisons and state prisons cannot be affected by executive action all yeah. right biden cannot do an executive order that affects state prisons and not only that but it doesn't even necessarily impact every single person who is in prison because of marijuana because as it stands there are approximately 3,000 people convicted of higher level marijuana crimes, so like maybe like drug trafficking, uh, who remain in federal prison because this is only this only counts towards people with small possession charges. Yeah, simple possession. Simple possession. Yeah, and there's like a threshold, right? If you have too much marijuana on you when you're, uh, you know, arrested, it automatically trips into like. Uh, I think it's like possession with intent to distribute. Um, yeah. That might not be the exact precise language, but there's just basically it's like possession plus and those possession plus people aren't affected by this order. Yeah. It does affect DC. So it could pardon some people who are in the district of Columbia in prison 
you know, there. But I've had a really hard time trying to get actual numbers around that. I think your assessment is right. Like, it'll help a lot of people, like, you know, and on an absolute basis, you know, 6,500 people being able to, you know, rent apartments easier, get jobs easier, get student grants, presumably, you know, other benefits. Like, that's great. But to your point, it is barely scratching the surface yeah. of everything that we owe to people who have been um, arrested or imprisoned for marijuana charges. The other thing is, even at the federal level, it only benefits people who have had their offenses, who have, who have committed the offense, um, as of the executive order or prior. So if you go out and commit a marijuana offense tomorrow and at some later date get convicted of it on a federal level, you are not, you're not helped by this. Now, you know, you could have, you could direct the Department of Justice and the Attorney General not to prosecute that kind of crime um, on the federal level. So like that might, you know, that'll probably prevent that from being a problem during the Biden administration. Um, but like, you know, it's a Band-Aid. Yeah, it's a Band-Aid. It absolutely does not go, go far enough. And most importantly, it doesn't affect anybody in state prisons. I think that's the biggest thing. Because as it stands, uh, according to Bloomberg, uh, 32,000 people, 32,000 people are the total estimated number of people imprisoned for all cannabis offenses as mm -hmm. of uh, as of 2018. Yeah. And of that... Um, twenty two thousand were in, are in states. Mm -hmm. That's twenty two thousand people that are in jail for cannabis offenses. Yeah, yeah, in and states. so that leads us to kind of the second pillar of his announced approach, which is, I don't even know that you can even call it like a part of the approach. <laughs> I mean, it's it's basically he's urging governors to yeah. to follow his lead and take the same action because yeah. similar to you know you got the president. He's the executive of the nation. So on a federal level, he can issue pardons for federal crimes. Governors, who are the executives of their states, can issue pardons for state crimes. Yeah. Um, so he's he's pushing for that to be the case, for like that to happen. But like, I don't know. So yeah. marijuana is already fully legal in 19 states and allowed yeah. for medical use in 37 states. Um, five more states have it on their ballots for the midterms. So at this point, according to uh, the Washington Post, 74% of the U.S. population has access to some kind of legal weed. Yeah. And about 2 million marijuana convictions have been expunged or pardoned by states uh, where the drug is now legal. So all that to say that like there has been progress where we might expect there to be progress, but where there hasn't yet been progress, I don't know that we can expect the governors to heed the Biden administration. Yeah, yeah. So then the question becomes, how much should we be celebrating this? And how much should we, like, yeah. uh, to what extent might we critique this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm like, I'm, I, I do celebrate a little bit the, the push to review the scheduling of marijuana. Yeah. Part, yeah. So basically he's pushed the secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services um, and the attorney general to initiate a review of the fact that it's currently a schedule one drug, which puts yeah. it in the same league as uh, cocaine and stuff um, and, heroin and heroin and LSD. Yeah. 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 But like, like yeah. a higher scheduled 
substance than like fentanyl and methamphetamine. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah. And this, and this specific schedule is reserved for drugs that are considered to have no medical benefit. Yeah. Which we know that that's just objectively not true. Yeah. All right. Marijuana exactly. can be used for medical benefit for several different things. Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk about the descheduling for a second, I guess. Mm -hmm. Before we kind of get into the political angle of it, let's let's talk about this. So the idea of rescheduling marijuana. First off, it's unclear if marijuana was rescheduled, what schedule it would be put on. Mm -hmm. uh, as it stands, the lowest schedule is uh, Schedule 5, all right? And Schedule 5, to, to put that into perspective, is you know, like cough syrup, right? Like cough syrup or um, small amounts of uh, codeine. Hmm, like interesting. The the lowest tier of of regulation. Yeah. Now, that being said, even if it was scheduled to the lowest tier, that still would not necessarily classify it as a federally legal drug. Mm -hmm. All right. Because as it stands, the, the Controlled Substances Act specifically requires that all drugs that have the potential to be abused, with the exception of alcohol and, and tobacco, have to, be put on in. The, yeah, <laughs> have to be put on the Controlled Substances Act, meaning mm. that they have to be under one of these schedules. All right. So theoretically, and this is talking specifically about executive action, theoretically, he could just deschedule it altogether. Mm -hmm. Now, some important factors about descheduling. First off, if it were descheduled, then there would need to be, a, there, there would still need to be legislative action in order to regulate it. Yeah. Because if it's, if it's not under the Controlled Substances Act, then it would have to be, it would have to be put under some, under some type of uh, different law. It mm -hmm. would have to be regulated under a different law. Um, and it's also super unlikely that he's going to do that. Yeah. Even on the campaign trail, he wasn't in favor yeah. of doing that. Yeah. Um, and furthermore, even if he did do that, it still would not necessarily legalize it in every single state. Yeah. So I, I've, I've seen a lot of leftists talk about what Biden can do about marijuana and like if he does make the move to deschedule it completely i mean i'll support that to an extent mm -hmm. yeah but at the end of the day the way that marijuana gets legalized federally is probably going to have to be through legislation yeah i'd say that's right yeah i'm, and, I'm even kind of curious about like legislation versus like state legislation yeah you know like yeah. well that's i mean that's the other thing you're it's probably going to be difficult to justify a federal law that specifically requires states to also have it legal in their state. Typically laws about like substances control and stuff like that, the state can put incremental restrictions above what the federal government puts on, yeah, on typically. Something. So like it would be pretty outside of the ordinary for the federal government to say, sorry, states, you can't regulate the trafficking of a controlled substance or even a descheduled like drug in your borders. Yeah. Like that would be pretty uncommon. So like, this is probably something that on, on, you know, on the bright side, it's something that can be addressed at the state level on yeah. the dark side. It's something that might have to be addressed on the state level. And so by definition, yeah. it's going to be a mixed bag. Yeah. Now that being said, I think that it's still 
make sense to try to do a federal law that requires some type of legalization with every state. Yeah. Um, or, or at the very least makes it actually legal federally. So yeah. so that, you know, states that defer to like the federal law for their state law get affected or like um, at the very least is like leading the way. And you're not going to have people like apologists saying like, well, you know, we could do it at the state level, but you might still get charged at the federal level. Yeah. You know, see, I would actually, I would argue that <laughs> and may, maybe, uh, maybe this is going too far, but I would even argue that Hell, if we're going to say that there's an implied right of privacy in the Constitution that specifically gives you the right to life, liberty, and property without, uh, and it can only be taken away through due process, I mean, a harmless substance that only affects you and affects nobody else, I'd put that under the category of freedom. Mm -hmm. So, you know what? I think the Supreme Court should be able to fucking <laughs> legalize it. I don't know. Maybe that's going well, too far. The Supreme but... Court can fucking do that, but <laughs> I they're don't not think going they to. Ever would. Yeah, they're not, not going even to. If, not even if it was all staffed with with liberal people, probably. <laughs> um, yeah, which is saying, I think that's a pretty strong argument. argument. There's that's an argument pre- yeah. to be made, especially. I mean, I think I think especially in the face of the disparate like outcomes of the war on drugs. Yeah, that's like, a good point. On at the very least, on like yeah, like due process grounds, like it seems like that would be a reasonable move by the Supreme Court if they were inclined to do it. Yeah. So like, and that's part of like the rationale for Biden's move. So he was talking about it in his press release. He was talking about the fact that um, you know prison's time for possessing marijuana has upended too many lives and incarcerated um, people for conduct that many states don't prohibit. And he talked specifically about like the disparate impact of these laws on black and brown people, despite uh, marijuana like usage at similar rates and all this stuff. And it makes sense because like marijuana is is inc- like significantly increasing in popularity as like states are, you know, deregulating it, legalizing it, decriminalizing it. Um, one, one, some research from the National Institute on Drug Abuse, uh, in partnership with the University of Michigan Institute for Social Research, found that in 2021, 43% of young adults ages 19 to 30 reported using marijuana. Yeah. Like the yeah. fact that <laughs> there's still like ambiguity around this, Yeah, around this like commonplace recreational drug is like yeah. really like, is just how many- anachronistic. How many thousands of people die every year from cigarettes, from alcohol? Yeah, it's like according hundreds of Nas- thousands. Yeah, yeah, according to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, there have been no recorded deaths attributable solely to marijuana. Like, you don't overdose on marijuana. It yeah. just doesn't happen. I mean, I did hear this one story where they, uh, they killed a mouse with marijuana. But they had to use a shit ton of it, and they also had to, and they also had to drop it from really high. <laughs> I was just, just, I was just visualizing like this, this like little mouse on like a on like a gravity bong or like something, just like getting crazy, <laughs> just getting fucked up. <laughs> like um, it's, it look that isn't to say that there might not be some minor uh health impacts from smoking a lot of marijuana i mean you probably shouldn't drink or you probably shouldn't smoke a fuck ton of it yeah 
and I mean, like every like, day, it's smoke. Like yeah, sm- and, and sm- smoke. Breathing anything that's not air is worse for your body than breathing air. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but like, to be fair, it's not you know necessarily like it's not obviously riddled with the kind of carcinogens that are present in tobacco and tobacco. I was, I was speaking to a doctor. I met this doctor while I was on vacation and we were talking about tobacco use. And he was like, did you know that like tobacco is an incredibly potent poison? Like if you eat tobacco, a very small amount can kill you, but yeah, it's crazy. Just the amount that you actually are ingesting when you smoke is is so much lower than people actually think but it is an amazingly potent poison and to your point nathan four hundred and eighty thousand people a year die in the u.s from tobacco use yeah and not a scheduled drug yeah not a scheduled drug grandfathered in yeah yeah exactly (laughs) so like all that to say the case for marijuana like uh decriminalization legalization Seems like pretty freaking clear. Yeah. And I think and it's also your... a winning political issue. Yeah. Because people support it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. So then the question becomes, what political benefit or hmm. drawback could this have? I mean, I think that it is not unreasonable to say that Biden did this because midterms are coming up. Yeah, I think that's I mean, right. I don't think that that is a controversial thing to say. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, when asked, so the the um, the White House did like a press briefing prior to the release of this. And when asked about the specific timing, they said, uh, like a senior White House official said, quote, I'll just add on to the question about timing. I mean, the president has been clear that our marijuana laws are not working. As I mentioned up top, members of Congress have been working on this issue, but the effort has stalled and we're almost at an end of the Congress. So the president has been considering his options and he's now taking executive action to address the country's failed approach to marijuana. So we've walked through how limited this this action actually is in terms of addressing like the deep yeah. systemic problems of marijuana. Um, and how how is this legislation more stalled now than it's been stalled for the last two years (laughs) (laughs) like i think i think that's just not a very credulous response and i think you're right to think that it's around it's a midterms issue then the other question is does that really matter that much i mean at the end of the day (laughs) i mean at the end of the day it it matters to the extent that they should have done it sooner i agree yes totally biden's been president for two years now and that means that that's that's two extra years that there were people sitting around unable to get employment because of this bullshit felony charge yeah. that they had looming over them. That's that's six thousand five hundred people that had to go through that for an extra two years. Yeah, and if and he I actually it, if he actually thinks that governors will be sympathetic, will be swayed by his approach, then that could be a much larger impact that it's had for two years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But that being said, at the end of the day, he did it Mm -hmm. and it was the right thing to do. And it's going to help people. So honestly, I care a lot more about results Mm -hmm. and this is a good result. I want more results. I want us Mm -hmm. to keep working towards it. And I love the fact that the conversation about either rescheduling it or, you know, hopefully descheduling it mm-hmm. um, is now becoming a part of the overall conversation. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's fair to say that this was something that he did for a political reason, yeah. but 
But at the same time, think about it. Like, the reason why it would politically help him is because it's politically popular. Yeah. And when people vote for an elected representative, that representative should represent them, mm -hmm. which means they should represent the values of the people that they have. So if somebody does something that people like and that people voted them in hoping that they would do, then I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Like, so a couple thoughts. One, if this actually helps Democrats keep or get more seats in the House and the Senate in midterms, awesome. Yeah. Like best possible outcome, like way more even impactful than like helping 6,500 people. Now I want to help those people, but like that's, it's like a much bigger impact, honestly, if yeah. we were to actually, you know, retain control of Congress related to this. But two, like to your point, Nathan, maybe this is a third segment to talk about at some point, but like, I don't care what my politicians believe. I don't care if they're passionately pro-legalization. I care that they're passionately taking action on legalization. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I care they're a passionate representative. Like if the incentives are set up in such a way that they actually represent the people that they're meant to represent, I don't care about them as a person. Now, yeah. my problem is when politics is set up so that they're not representing those things. I care. I want the incentives to be set up and the incentives to be set up are set up in such a way that, you know, if you're authentic, people believe you. If they yeah. believe you and think you're their authentic, they'll want you to be their representative. And I think that's important. But like yeah. if Bernie Sanders in his heart of hearts didn't believe a word he was saying and just thought this was the most expedient political way to stay in office and to truly represent the people of Vermont, great. <laughs> well, I, I don't know how much... I agree with you on that. Okay. Because because I, I guess I guess my thing is the fact that if a person demonstrates clearly that they believe something, that usually means they're gonna keep fighting for it. Yeah. So totally. like 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 for example, during the Democratic primary, yep. there were a lot of people that were claiming that they supported Medicare for all. Mm -hmm. And they seemed to be supporting it because it was popular and they didn't seem to have any real idea of <laughs> what it actually was and yeah. why people actually like it. Yeah. So like you had your, you know, Kamala Harris, you had Kirsten Gillibrand, you had Cory Booker all saying they supported it. But when it came down to it, they either flipped or they didn't really have a lot of substantive things to say about it. Mm -hmm. Whereas people like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, they very clearly did have more substance on each of those issues yeah. and were able to talk about it more. So the fact that they seemed to clearly actually believe it translated into them fighting for it more. Sure. So I, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I totally take that point. I, I didn't mean to say I don't care if people are passionate, if people passionately fight for something. I think the best representation of my viewpoint is if there was Bernie and then evil Bernie and <laughs> they were the, exactly the same, they were yeah. passionate fighters. And one of yeah. them was just, you yeah. know, uh, doing it because he thought it was the way to stay elected. And one of them was doing it because he thought it, or, or maybe not elected, maybe elected and be a representative. Um, yeah. And the other person was doing it because he really believed in Medicare for all. Like, I don't really, 
I would, but they're still I would fighting for it the same way. Same, same way they're fighting for it. Yeah. Okay. Like, I get yeah, that. Yeah. No impact that. on on like consequences. I get I, that. But that because to me it's all about the consequences. Yeah. It doesn't matter what's going on in their in their. I don't mind. care about the brain. What yeah. yeah. I I get that. I get that. I so do care maybe... a little about Biden's brain because <laughs> I want it to be there. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, like I think you're right. I'm okay if it's polit- about political expediency and like getting something like a good, an issue on the table that's popular with the, that like Democrats win on and that that'll help us in the midterms. I think that's great. I think like, like um, a lot of the headlines have been really praising this, um, which I think is fine, but I don't, to your point and what we kind of have emphasized throughout is like, this is way weaker than, you would assume based on the coverage if you're just reading headlines and like, you know, still in like 2020, like 350,000 people were arrested for marijuana related offenses. 91% of those offenses were possession only. Like according to the ACLU, uh, between 2001 and 2010, 8.2 million marijuana arrests took place. 88% of those were just possession. Like, there's just so much more to be done here. Um, but I'll take any any step we can get, and hopefully it keeps uh, some seats in the midterms. And now it's time for a more lighthearted segment, Tips for Good. So, Nathan, why do we do Tips for Good every week? Well, Michael, I'm so glad you asked. You see, we do Tips for Good every week because we're going at it tonight. Tonight. There's a party on the rooftop, top of the world tonight, tonight, and we're dancing on the edge of the Hollywood sun Ugh. or sign. Is it sign or sun? Uh, definitely sign. I definitely think. Sign. I think the Hollywood sign is very famous. The Hollywood sun, I think, is. Well, it, it's well, there. I, it's pretty famous. That I, I feel. I like, think you're right. Yeah. So, so there's there's this there's this study about people's intuitions about statistics, where they describe this theoretical person who's like liberal um, and supports LGBTQ issues. And they ask their people, is it more likely that this person is uh, a woman or that this is a woman active in the, uh, in the feminist movement? It was more common that respondents would say that this person, it's more likely this person is a woman active in the feminist movement than a woman, which is statistically impossible, Right. It like would be impossible, but because of all of the preamble, because the the context that they laid out describing this person, it felt very intuitive that of course we have information enough to say it's more much more confident that she's a woman and she's active in the feminist movement. So this was a study by Daniel Kahneman about people's interpretations of statistics, and so that made me think of it when you said that because it was like the Hollywood sign might be very 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 famous, but. There's no way it's as famous as the sun. <laughs> no matter how famous it is. <laughs> we took a long time to get there, but I'm I'm down for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that was that was all the thought that I had about that. Um <laughs> Well, you know what? Thoughts like that make yeah. the world a better place. I, I completely agree with you. I really do. Which coincidentally is mm-hmm. also what Tips for Good is all about. That's so true. Man, that's a great point. So, Michael, what is our tip for good this week? All right. Our tip for good is 
We may be a broken record. It's time, y'all. The booster is out. Go get it. Like, seriously, go get it. I, I am speaking potentially from a position of hypocrisy. I have not yet, yet gotten it because it came out while I was abroad, and I literally got home and didn't realize that it had come out. But now it's there. We should all go get it. Currently, only about 4% of eligible people are fully boosted. And that's as we're heading into potentially a you know more significant COVID season. It is the right time to get a booster. It might yeah. make, make you save for a couple of days. It is totally worth it. Yeah. Go do yeah. it. I actually, I I did get it. Okay. And interestingly enough, I, and again, this is an anecdote, mm-hmm. but it affected me the least of all of the boosters. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Like it barely, it like it barely made me sick. That now, is I don't, awesome. I don't know if that's typical. So please don't, get a booster thinking <laughs> oh i'm gonna be fine because yeah. nathan said i'm gonna be fine and then like yeah d- don't don't completely quote me on that but that's yeah. what happened to me that is awesome that is awesome news it makes me that it makes me a little bit more confident because i heard like my sister-in-law and brother they were like kind of sick for like a day pretty yeah. typical to like the previous booster um it yeah. is probable that everybody's reaction will be a little bit different just like the other booster but like yeah it's totally worth it just part of it. And that's tips for good. So for our next segment, we are talking about Iran. And um, unlike uh, what's usually the case when we talk about foreign countries, uh, it is not a segment called, sorry, we fucked up your country. Yeah. We actually already <laughs> did that on Iran. Yeah. We already, <laughs> yeah, we already fucked up Iran. Um, <laughs> this is, I guess, I guess, I, I guess if, like to some degree, we're probably responsible for the Iran of today, and so yep. to some degree, we, sorry, we to con- some degree contributed <laughs> <laughs> to some degree. Yeah, all right, all right, fair enough, fair enough. We fucked up their country, and this is yeah. a pretty much a direct fallout of that having happened. Yeah. So very, very quickly, just a little bit of a previously on the perspectrum. So to sum it up in really, really quick, in bigly terms, <laughs> <laughs> bigly. Um, so. Iran uh, elected a populist dude that wanted to nationalize Iranian oil. Back in the day. Back in the day. United States said, no, fuck you. Don't care about democracy. Deposed him and installed the Shah. Uh, Shah got deposed and uh, a theocratic government came in his place. And since the 70s, that government has been what has been ruling Iran. And they... uh, they, of course, hate Americans, and they are a theocratic government that brutally suppress dissent, brutally suppress women, have a fucking morality police that goes yep. around and makes sure that people are following the uh, the tenets of Islam mm-hmm. and following the Islamic dress codes around yep. the country. And, uh, yeah, yeah, all caught up. <laughs> that is a good history. Um, so, so a little bit of history on like some of the stuff that it's directly led to this. So, so um, Iran officially enshrined um, mandates for head coverings for women in 1983. Why that? Why we're talking about that will be clear in a moment. If you haven't, you know, just kept abreast of the what's happening in Iran. Four years after the revolution. Um, that brought like that current government to power. So over the years since that mandate in the 80s, um, levels of enforcement have ebbed and flowed. 
Um, there was like a more moderate president recently, President Hassan Rouhani. Um, he served between 2013 and 2021 and had fewer like patrols of the streets. Ultimately, you know, more moderate, uh, less, you know, active morality police. This is all relative, we should point out, because yeah. they still had them. It was still like, you know, a uh, a uh, authoritarian regime. Um, but like, you know, overall, like less enforcement of these policies. You know, since then, enforcement has ramped up under Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. Um, and so that kind of brings us to... Uh, the middle of September. So on September 16th, a 22-year-old woman named Masa Ameni was killed uh, while in police custody, right? So um, the police, who in this case were the morality police, Iran's um, uh, uh, guidance patrol, um, claimed that she died of a heart attack, something that her, her family denies. Um, this heart attack occurred after she fell into a coma um, she did die in the hospital, so they did bring her to the hospital. Um, dying of a heart attack, at least the way I'm thinking of it, in this case, you've got a 22-year-old woman. Yeah. She was in police custody for like three days uh, after being attained for allegedly violating like this conservative dress code that requires that you wear a hijab or a headscarf. In and a modest... specific way. She, yeah. It wasn't even that she wasn't wearing it. It was yeah. that she was wearing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or and incorrectly. So, yeah, and so she was picked up by the morality police and brought to a um, a re-education center for women who violate the dress code. Um, so the idea, in my mind, that the morality police swept someone up, detained them for three days at a re-education center, um, there's some indication uh, in released video footage that she may have been may have been beaten, although an official autopsy claims that there's no internal bleeding or brain hemorrhage. Yeah, but, but the idea we, that do we believe the exactly, official autopsy? Exactly. By the bury people like like there there have been cases in which there have been some protesters, some some young women protesters who have been murdered by the police. Yeah. Uh, during this protest, in front of the families of mm -hmm. these of these young women, and the police have specifically tried to instruct the parents, oh, just say it was natural causes or say it was this or say it was that or say it was whatever. And mm -hmm. that the parents have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we're not going to fucking do that. And then have gone into the streets and, you know, gone to various human rights groups and said, yeah, so my daughter got killed by these motherfuckers. Yeah. And they told me to pretend that it was a fucking like it was a fucking heart attack or it was like, yeah, you cannot <laughs> believe anything that they say. These yeah. are not reliable sources. These are, these are a bunch of theocratic, authoritarian uh, uh, officers of the of the regime. Like you cannot trust any of that shit. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. And and that like disinformation, misinformation has surrounded um, has surrounded uh, Masha Amini's death. And honestly, like the thing is, like after with all this information. No one, to Nathan's point, no one fucking believes this. Like, yeah. like saying someone died of a heart attack, like lots of things can cause a heart attack. Like that can be the ultimate cause. Like yeah. if you strangle someone, they might, they probably die of a heart attack. <laughs> but like, that's not the real cause. So this can be technically true. Even if it is true, it can be technically true, but not accurate. And yeah. so this 
death in police custody, most likely at the hands of these morality police, has ignited nationwide demonstrations since the middle of September that have persisted for weeks um, yeah. and, and kind of become stands, a rallying cry around a number of issues. And as it stands, at least 185 people, including 19 minors, have been killed by security forces. Yeah. And thousands have been arrested by security forces. Uh, and that's according to various different human rights groups. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of support for the protest and they've had some really interesting methods. Like there's, they're really active on social media. And one of my favorite things, um, there was a, there was a government broadcast that got hijacked. Now it's unclear as to whether or not it was a hack or whether it was like an inside job. It seems like it was an inside job because apparently the broadcast wasn't online, but basically in the middle of a broadcast of this government broadcast, um, there's this report on uh, Ayatollah Ali Kamani that just randomly got interrupted with, with this 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 image of uh, Kamani in crosshairs hmm. and the words, quote, the blood of our youths is on your hands. It had a photo of Masa Amini, and it also had the images of three other young women that had been killed during the protest. Yeah. And there was a card that came up that read, quote, join us and rise up. And mm -hmm. there was a there was a protest chant, chant that said, women, life, freedom. And then after after the screen came back, it just went on an anchorman who was just looking like, fuck, like, <laughs> what, what, what just happened? Yeah. Um, and again, this was this was happened. This happened on the. Uh, Islamic Republic of Iran Broadcasting, which is basically the propaganda arm mm -hmm. of the government. Yeah. So that's some that's some pretty based shit right there. Yeah. That's that's super serious. Like it the demonstrations have spread throughout all thirty one provinces um and are like the largest demonstrations that we've seen in a number of years. So like the scale of this is pretty pretty impressive and like to nathan's point like the tactics are also pretty impressive and like you worry about these people because we know security forces are like using live fire hundreds of people have been killed like the 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 security forces have been like escalating they've been using like misinformation like the ayatollah has been describing like that this is a foreign like led plot and that's like a that's like a you know a common talking point when you're planning to or when you want an excuse for escalating violence against people because you claim that they are like you know influenced by foreign foreign people including like arresting a bunch of european citizens um that were in iran um and they're like escalating calling uh like state rallies have called for um, perpetrators of violence against security forces to be executed. Um, and the Revolutionary Guard called on Iran's judiciary to prosecute protesters and Iran's army to put a statement, put out a statement saying it would confront enemies um, and plots to ensure security. So, like, it's escalating on kind of both sides of this, of this issue. And the death toll, especially among, like, young people, is just really really sad yeah and 
Another thing that's been kind of interesting is that there have actually been some images of security forces joining the protesters. Hmm. Interesting. And a huge part of it is basically the fact that there's not a lot of morale among mm -hmm. these security forces. Because keep in mind, not only is the government authoritarian, it is incredibly corrupt. Yeah. So mm. why would anybody want to like fight or shoot or kill a bunch of unarmed civilians yeah. for a government that really could not care less about you? Mm -hmm. All right. The government is corrupt from in all levels. Yeah. All right. So, you know, because of either defections or because of people just straight up deciding um, this isn't worth it. Um, also, fears of the idea of this being successful. I mean, yes. if I'm a security force, I might be thinking, uh, I don't want my face to be, you know, to be uh, on display fighting these protesters because if it's successful, then it's my ass. Yeah. So in reading analysis of this situation, it's really interesting to like to think about how this seems to be a, a coalescing of like many issues, some of which like really get at kind of some of the foundational theocratic and yeah. like problems with like, well, having a theocracy yeah. as, as well as some of those corruption concerns. So like, you know, they're demanding like justice for Amini, of course, because it was kind of the inciting event um, and, and to like the mandatory uh, like headscarf, wearing um but they're also like protesting about um like economic neglect and political abuse and this corruption and like denouncing kind of clerical rule in general and chanting like death to the dictator in reference to supreme leader committee and and so you know it's it's interesting to see a protest that seems to get at kind of all kind of aspects of what we would describe as like the worst parts of their government. Yeah. Cause like, so like, it's interesting to contrast. I went read one analysis contrasting it to protests in 20, 2009. Cause like large scale protests are not necessarily new, nor yeah. is it necessarily new for the government to take violent action against their citizens to, to stop the protests. And so like, usually they end in a lot of violence but in like 2009, the protests were aimed at like protesting what appeared to be a rigged election in yeah. favor of just different kind of representatives of the status quo. Like largely yeah. the same people have been in power kind of rotating in the government since the Republic was established. And so like, it's one thing to say, to see protests about, you know, political issues, but as this movement has been increasingly led by young people, yeah. like it seems to be like much more like anti-establishment kind of yeah. more radical rejection of like the theocratic government, including coalescing around like these like, like women issues of like women's equality being like fundamental to lots of the protests, but also just like the fact that that as kind of a latch on point can like be a a basis for questioning a lot of the problems of their theocratic government in general. And so it seems like much more of a like angry youth led, more fundamental kind of protest than we've seen in Iran in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And 
I really hope that some of the uh, Christian nationalists in our own country hmm. are taking notice because this is the type of shit that happens in a theocracy. Yeah. All right. You end up having an oppressive government that becomes authoritarian, that cracks down on dissenters, and they end up sending out morality police <laughs> to make sure that their version of their own religious text is being enforced. This is why theocracy is a bad thing. This yeah. is why freedom of religion is an important thing. This is why freedom of religion cannot be complete if you don't have a separation of church and state. All right? Yeah. This is the type of theocracy that Christian nationalists are talking about. Now, they might pretend like, oh, no, no, but that's that's Islam. All right? A, a Christian nationalist country, they would never be super sexist. Yeah, the Middle Ages called. Um, <laughs> <laughs> also like all like many churches called i mean we, we don't need to get yeah. into that but like there are lots of churches that are quite sexist <laughs> yeah there are and there are lots of practices that are still blatantly sexist yeah all right so just equality is is not in the bible yeah like <laughs> yeah it's not in there now, now again that doesn't mean that if you're religious you're automatically bad not at all but what it does mean is if you're a theocrat, you're automatically bad. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> seriously. Like, like yeah, I like, agree. Like you, you can have religious values, and those religious values can even, to an extent, impact some of your policy beliefs or some of your sure, mora moral of moral values. Like, there's, there's, I, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. But as soon as things that are they're solely associated with your religion enter into that public sphere of policy you start having you start becoming in danger mm -hmm. of following in the example of these various countries that are theocracies now i would like to point out the reason why iran is a theocracy is our fault so i don't want to yeah. like put my nose up and be like oh if only iran like was america. as star-spangled yeah. awesome as america no no it's our fault that this is happening in the first place yeah all right but let's i want to be very clear about that however we should also take note about the dangers of theocracy and on top of that there's another point that i want to make hey cia i know you're listening stay the fuck out of this <laughs> <laughs> oh man i think that's a great point i think that's a really good point like I think, yeah. Oh, God, I didn't even think about that. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, God. In 20 years, younger versions yeah. of us will be doing a sorry we fucked up your country again. Yeah. I, I really Hopefully just hope not. that's not the case. Hopefully not. Yeah, so, yeah. like, the response from the international community, at least so far, seems like it's been appropriate. Like, like sanctions against the Iranian government from the U.S., condemnation from... Like like international like condemnation of Iran is at like one of their highest levels in a really long time, which is seems like the right thing. At the same time, so while the Iranian government has throttled internet and cellular service and blocked WhatsApp and Instagram, um, Iranian people have been turning to VPNs. The U.S. Treasury Department uh, said that they will be. Uh, working to install broadband internet access and cloud sharing technologies in Iran. Uh, and I mean, even Elon Musk 
God, he shouldn't get involved, except for the fact that he has Starlink, his company, which is a satellite internet provider, which has been doing good work in Ukraine, and hopefully can, like, work with, you know, if that's the best option, can, like, work with the Treasury Department to provide internet for two reasons, right? This is a youth-led movement, which has gained a lot of momentum via the internet, right? They're able to organize to the degree that they are organized, or at least inspire action nationally via the internet. Um, But two... It's also what will be able to hold the government accountable for those human rights abuses. Yeah, yeah. So I I, I completely support peripheral support. Yeah, all right. Agreed. But the United States needs to not get directly involved because historically, when the United States gets directly involved in Middle Eastern affairs, when it supports regime change wars, it taints it because unfortunately, oftentimes when that happens. It is specifically to pursue the interests of the United States. Yeah. All right. Either in terms of of mineral wealth, in terms of oil, gas, fossil fuels, all of that. And we need to not do that. All right. If they are able to create a revolution and overthrow the government, then I think that we should lift sanctions and we should establish diplomatic relations that um with with iran um i mean a lot of the sanctions that are currently on iran i think go too far to begin with but Mm. i if if they do end up having a revolution we should absolutely be lifting sanctions but (laughs) don't get directly involved in this all right you we tried it once we fucked everything up let's like let them guide their own future for once now that doesn't mean you shouldn't like be informed Mm, yes. Like share informed opinions, like yes. talk to your your friends, your family about this, help garner support for the people of Iran. But to your point, Nathan, U.S. government, CIA, if you're listening, we know you are big fans of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Please stay the fuck out of this. Yeah. I just I just want to end with a, a quotation from a 17-year-old protester in, uh, in Iran that uh, talks to uh, Reuters. Um, kept anonymous because of obvious reasons um she said quote hey world hear me i want a revolution i want to live freely and i'm ready to die for it instead of dying every minute under this regime's repression i prefer to die with their bullets in protest for freedom and now it's time for our favorite segment Ass hat of, of the, the week. week. So, Nathan, who is our ass hat this week? Michael, I feel like I'd be lying if I said I was excited. Because <laughs> <laughs> I hate talking about this guy. <laughs> it's rapper Kanye West. Oh, Jesus. Kanye West, come on down. <laughs> Jesus, Yeezy himself. Wow. I, I can't I believe. am not calling him yay. I, I refuse think, to call him yay. I think this is not the first time he's been the asset. I think he was the asset when he tried to run for president. Or like when he was talking about it or, or something. Yeah, shit. yeah, know. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So what did Kanye do this time to get on our show? So this time, uh, anti-Semitism. And kind of like... A direct threat on Jewish people? Jesus. And I'm not even sure where this fucking came from, but like a a few days ago, and this tweet has since been taken down. I'm reading this off of a screenshot. He tweeted, quote, I'm a bit sleepy tonight. 
But when I wake up, I'm going Death Con 3 on Jewish people. Which, by the way, it's Death Con, not Death Con. Well, maybe it's Death Con, Nathan. Maybe you don't maybe know what he's is. talking about. <laughs> maybe he doesn't know what he's talking about. I don't I I doubt he does because the next thing he says is the funny thing is I actually can't be anti-Semitic because black people are actually Jew. Huh. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means either. I have thoughts about what it might mean, but that I, can't be right because that wouldn't be right. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't I don't oh, know what man. it means. And then he ended by saying, you guys have toyed with me and tried to blackball anyone, whoever opposes your agenda. My now, God. that's the part that what I think is fuck? the most scary. Seriously. Like, what the... I, I don't understand the logic here. And well, he, he tweeted any. this like five minutes before midnight. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, I, my only hope is that like his dog had his phone <laughs> and was like licking it and it was just like a random like autocorrect you know where you like just press the the autocorrected yeah, button and yeah. they're like yeah just that just the dog like licking or maybe it's an anti-semitic dog that'd be better <laughs> like, <Yeah. but laughs> like oh god i just i am so fucking mad at his like like um kind of like edgelord like fucking yeah. like flirtations with white supremacy like literally like yeah. Like I don't like white lives matter at his like fashion yeah. show and like fucking yeah. anti-Semitic tweets and fucking sucking up to Trump all the time. And like, yeah. he's just such a like fucking asshole. Yeah. And the thing is, I didn't even like him before the shit happened. Like, yeah, I always thought that he was a shitty person before any, any of this, because I, I just, I can't stand it when celebrities look down their nose at people yeah. and I can't stand it when celebrities are like, uh, so full of themselves at the expense of other people. Like yeah. I understand that a celebrity is going to have a certain ego, but this guy was always kind of a, I'm better than all of you because I'm rich, mm -hmm. like sort of attitude. And I just, I hate that. I, I, I hate that. I hate that. And yeah. so I, anyway, I, I was, I was telling everybody like this guy's, this guy's fucked up long before he, went full on like MAGA. Yeah. Um, so just, just, just pointing that out. Uh, one of the things I think is hilarious is there was this, there was this, uh, Fox and friends segment where they had been trying to defend him for a while, uh, for, for like, for like their entire, their, their, their entire Jesus. show. Uh. Because like they saw that the left was angry at, Kanye West and they saw that he had had a tweet removed from Twitter and they were like oh well they're always trying to put him down when he's expressing his thought and then they actually read the story and realized what he said and they were like oh um no never mind no he th he probably earned the ire this no d d d forget what we said forget what we said oh my god you gotta love it when people are like don't like do any research before they go and yeah. talk to millions of people Get I totally mean, screwed over by that fact. It's Fox and Friends. Of yeah. course they're going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, to steal to God. steal uh, Stephen Colbert's joke, uh, Kanye West is a free thinker in that he is free of thought. <laughs> so congratulations and screw you to Kanye West for being this <laughs> asshat, asshat of, of the week. week. 
So for our third segment tonight, we are talking about direct democracy. So direct democracy is just democracy. <laughs> um, but direct. But it's direct, which you have to add because we have a lot of like not real forms of democracy. So direct yeah, or at least or at least we have forms of representative democracy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Not pure democracy. So direct democracy yeah. and pure democracy, you could use those terms kind of interchangeably. The most common forms of direct democracy that we have in like the US and in most like representative democracies are like referendums. So these are like, we've got like ballot measures or ballot referendums in the US. You might've seen them on your, your ballot. And basically they'll put issues directly to the voters and then the voters will vote and yeah. whatever they determine happens. Yeah. And seems pretty cool. Seems pretty chill. But we wanted to talk about it a little bit because like, well, on the one hand, you know, we've had a lot of success in the U.S. recently with direct democracy. Yeah. Um, and then on the other hand, like direct democracy is responsible for like Brexit. Yeah. And, you know, there's a reason why most like governments today are not direct democratic governments. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we want to just kind of unpack this issue a little bit. Yeah. So I would say that Brexit is a good example of direct democracy being tainted by special interests that sold lies and propaganda, yeah. which I would argue in this context is not that unlike the disproportionate control that corporations have on our representative democracy. Hmm. Because what was happening in the Brexit vote was you had people like Boris Johnson and... Um, Oh, what was that guy's name? Uh, Nigel Farage. Nigel Farage, yeah. Who were putting all of the like they were they were spending a bunch of money and doing a bunch of propaganda, trying to print out a bunch of these crazy misleading claims about the the European Union. Like there was this one bus that was going around that was saying how much money people from Europe or people from from Britain were sending to the European Union, and it was like, oh, what if we invested that here? But like. There was no guarantee that that money would have specifically been reallocated to healthcare because they, mm. they were specifically talking about healthcare. And after the vote, Farage was actually asked about that. And he was like, oh, well, I mean, you know, I never said directly what it could have. Been. And they're like, no, but on the bus, you said it could have gone to, to healthcare. And he's like, oh, well, well, like he walked it back. Sure. Um. So the rich and powerful in a lot of ways still had some direct disproportionate control. And on the on top of that, the issue of Brexit was one that a lot of people just did not understand. I mean, yeah. after Brexit passed, the most Google th Googled thing in Britain was what is Brexit or yeah. what is the European Union? Yeah. People didn't fucking know. But in a lot of cases, especially in the United States, a lot of the issues that we tend to have referendums on are issues that are pretty well known and that people at least understand to the extent where they're not going to be surprised when something happens. <laughs> all right. So like Florida minimum wage, 
most people know enough about minimum wage to know what it is, yeah. right? They know what minimum wage is and people tend to support it, all right? Marijuana legalization, most people know how they feel about marijuana. Abortion, most people know how they feel about abortion. So the issue comes when there's a referendum that is specifically on an issue that is beyond the scope of the average Joe. Like yeah. the, the average Joe is not gonna is not gonna spend a lot of time invested in it. Yeah. So I would argue that direct democracy initiatives, I would like to see them actually increase in the United States for one specific reason. And that is the fact that we always talk about how divided we are mm -hmm. in the United States. Like the United States is so divided, it's so divided politically. And when it comes to who we support, that is absolutely true. Yeah. All right. When it yeah. comes to the politicians that we support, that is 100% true. All right. People, when it comes to Trump, most people either love him and would like, you know, would, would invade their government for him, <laughs> like invade his government, invade the government for him, or most people hate him. Yeah. All right. Most people either like him a lot, like worship him, or they completely hate him. However, when it comes to policies, when it comes to specific policies, you find that on most policy issues, people actually agree. When you take the figurehead out of the equation, the politician that people either like or hate because of whatever stupid personality reason out of the equation, and you just ask people, do you want to increase the minimum wage? You know what they vote? They vote yes, mm -hmm. all right? Increasing the minimum wage in Florida got more votes than Donald Trump, mm -hmm. all right? In Montana, a solidly red state, legalizing marijuana got more votes than Donald Trump. Yeah. yeah. All right? So the point, th the point that I would make is that fundamentally, limited direct democracy, referendums that focus on larger issues, larger mainstream issues that people generally already know about are actually going to help with that divide. They're actually going to help mend that divide because in that case, we're not talking about people and with people come a personality, but also come a set of policies. Yeah. We're not talking about politicians. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about policy. And when we talk about policy, Americans tend to agree. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say it's a really like, I'd say it's a super compelling point. And one that I was, yeah, I started thinking about this because I was thinking about protecting abortion in Virginia. Yeah. I was like, how could we get abortion in a referendum to like protect it? it it's not practical. I read about it. It doesn't really make sense. Uh, <laughs> would, would not really work. But it got me thinking about the benefits and drawbacks of direct democracy. And like, I think your point about Brexit is a good one. I, and I think there's another one as well. So like, I think, I think it kind of highlights two important points about direct democracy. One is I think the one you made, which is to some degree, like direct democracy is perhaps maybe as corruptible on certain issues as other kinds of, of legislation or like or, or representation. So like, you know, 
you can pay off a politician or you can do an ad campaign that totally skews or just lies about some like a, a subject matter like Nigel Farage did and get to a pretty similar outcome. So like it is susceptible for sure to information problems like lying. Yeah. But the other thing is to your point, like I think a defect of direct democracy is that it's not particularly deliberative. Yeah. Like voting in general is not nearly as deliberative of an activity as we would want it to be. Like to your point about Brexit, like in an ideal world, you would spend weeks preparing your populace to be informed on a decision as complex as a referendum, like leaving the European Union, so that when they went to the polls to vote on that, they would be informed and thoughtful. And so like, I think a big defect of it is, unless you're able to actually get people to truly think about and understand and evaluate a complex policy proposal, it's only really good for more simple, straightforward, intuitive policy proposals, which I think is fine. I think yeah. it's fine. But like, I think like, I remember reflecting at the time, like I could not imagine, I was astounded that they put Brexit up to a referendum vote. Yeah. I thought that was the stupidest fucking idea I'd ever heard. And the yeah. reason is because it is hard. It's complex. Yeah. It's, it's fickle. You know, it's not always obvious what the benefits and drawbacks of the European Union are, especially when you're facing like require, like, like open immigration and and issues that are like really bothering people in Britain at at that particular time. So like I thought I think that's a particularly bad case for a bad instance or use case for direct democracy. I think your point about like more intuitive policies like minimum wage. Like there are like very educated people can generally can disagree on exactly the right point like place to set minimum wage. But generally speaking, people can get can understand minimum wage. It's a populist like type issue. It like makes sense to put something like that to a vote. Legalizing marijuana. Totally. I think it's like an interesting feature of our current system that direct democracy is so much better at achieving our policy, our general policy priorities is so much better than representative democracy at doing that. To your yeah. point, because like we just agree. If if of all polls about policy issues were votes, we would have so much better policies yeah. <laughs> in place yeah. right now. Like like abortion would be legal. Like marijuana would be legal. We'd have a $15 minimum wage at least. We would have Medicare for all. (laughs) Like so many issues um, like we just largely agree on. Now, I I think that's more kind of accidental to our current position than it is part of direct democracy though, as I think about it. It's like the fact that we have this weird divide where like personality cults and cultural issues are driving wedges in our society that policy issues aren't is like, I think that's kind of a feature of our current like historical moment more than it is like a feature of direct democracy per se. So I think like there's probably like a time for direct democracy. And I think the times now, like let's try to get the referendum out there. Let's try to do it. 
Um, but in terms of like, I was thinking like, Hey, like what would be, wouldn't like, what if we like made it way easier to get stuff on the ballot? Or like, what if we like just made direct democracy just a much bigger part of our voting? And I think I'd be more, I think I'd be a little bit worried about doing that just because of some of the problems that we talked about with like Brexit and some of the limitations of it. See, I want to be a bigger part of our voting, Mm -hmm. but like you said, I think it's important for the issues to be limited to issues mm-hmm. that are mainstream. So, yeah. so to to kind of to kind of give an example, because because we talked about, I, I used the analogy earlier about the corrupting influence of money on politics for uh, politicians versus for for direct yeah. initiatives, yeah, yeah. individuals. <clears throat> so, let's expand that analogy. All right, individual representatives, either on the state level or even you know, or even on the national level in like a, a house rep district are significantly more susceptible to a major ad campaign hmm. by some organization that decides to, to invest itself in a specific district or a specific campaign to flood the airways with propaganda against a candidate than a national candidate. So hmm. most people know who the president is, right? Most people know how they feel about the president. When it comes to presidential elections, most people know who the two major candidates are, and they usually know how they feel about them. Mm -hmm. So you can flood the airways all you want, but most of the time, if you're somebody that generally already likes Trump, yeah, you're probably going to see anti-Trump ads and think, oh, well, I better make sure that I get out to vote even better, even harder. <laughs> you know, you're probably not going to be as influenced by that. However, say you are in some state level house district mm-hmm. and suddenly you're seeing ad after ad after ad after ad after ad after ad flooding the airways saying that your current state level representative is corrupt is a is a radical is crazy is evil look here is a here's a vote that they did that's terrible here's a vote that they did that's terrible here is a meeting a secret meeting that they had with this organization you start to see that that's going to impact you Hmm. because you the average everyday person is going to get most of their information about that election from those airways Mm -hmm. all right so just like when it comes to politicians that you might not know as much about, you are more susceptible to that type of manipulation mm. than you would be to a politician that you are more aware of. Gotcha. And in a similar vein, when it comes to policies, you're going to be more susceptible to be to 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 have your opinion shifted if you are seeing ad after ad after ad after ad after ad talking about a specific policy that you don't really know much about than you would be if that initiative was talking about a policy that is already relatively mainstream. Yeah. I think that is such a good point. I did not really think about it in those terms at all. Um, I think that's a really super strong point. So I'd say like verdict on direct democracy, I think it's got a role. I think it can be really useful. It can obviously be very powerful for representing people's actually actual opinions I think for things like, for things like, uh, you know, changing like Kansas's constitution to make it so that they could ban abortion 
Like, I think that's a good, that's a good use of it. Like you're moving away from the status quo. So if people have status quo bias or whatever, they can stick with that. Um, and like, it's like a relatively straightforward issue. It's like, do you want to ban abortion? Yes or no? Like, and it's one that people probably have. That's like a pretty mainstream issue that people probably have opinions on already. Yeah. Yeah. And now we land our show as we usually do with our highlights. So Nathan, what's our highlight this week? My highlight this week is that eventually the week will be over. <laughs> oh, that bad, huh? <laughs> yeah. It, it's been a really busy last few weeks. And like, I've been doing a lot of things that I like, but I've been doing a lot of things <laughs> and I would like to not do things for just a little bit. Yeah. And, yeah, you keep uh, signing up for new stuff. You keep I adding need, stuff to your, your calendar. I need to stop doing that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, the highlight of this week will be when it's over. Fair enough. Fair enough. What about you, Michael? What's your highlight? My highlight was this past weekend. So I had Monday off for Indigenous People's Day. Um, so we uh, had a three-day weekend. It was like nice to get settled back in after going on vacation. Um, and we went to... We went to a concert, which was great. And we went to the movies. Thanks to you, Nathan. Thanks to your the mm. the gift card that you got us. We went to see um, Amsterdam, which I thought nice. was, was pretty good. And we went to get food and all that stuff. So I really, it was really nice. And uh, nice. I really appreciate it. Nice. Glad you enjoyed it, bro. Yeah, absolutely. And so we want to thank a few people that make this show possible. So starting off, we need to thank our editor, without mm. whom... We would be way more screwed than we already are. <laughs> so thank you to Kayla Fana for editing our show. And thank you to our amazing patrons, Jerry DeViller, Cal Chaska, Fade Out Scoop, Taylor Bloom, and Tobias Janssen for making this show possible. And to you, dear listener, thank you for listening to The Perspectrum, and you'll hear from us again next week. <laughs>